Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, you historical hotties. Welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where we're going to chug a bunch of wine and talk about some women from history you probably haven't heard of. And we're back together, which is probably the best news you're going to hear all day. Reunited and And it feels so good. Talking badass babes like we should. Don't sue me. (laughs) Um, So I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And we are your historical hottie hostesses. Yeah. (laughs) All the alliteration up in here. So yeah, we're we're probably going to be a little bit crazy because we haven't been able to get together in a while but hopefully it'll be a good thing not a bad thing yeah it was funny we were actually going to record uh one episode yesterday remotely and then get together tonight but uh right before i like seconds literally like i'm waiting for emily seconds before i'm about to drink some wine and log on my mother calls me to pick up my dad from the hospital so He's fine, by the way. He's totally fine. Everything's good. But I'm like, Mom, you have amazing timing because I was literally about to start chugging that wine. Right. And she's like, well, I'm glad I called my dad. I'm like, me too. Yeah, otherwise, <laughs> the answer would have been no. It was funny. And then I dropped my dad off at his house and my mom was pouring a nice big ass glass of Chardonnay. She gets this like big glass jug. And oh, I was I like, oh, mom, mom, what kind of wine is that? And she goes, cheap. And I'm like, that's where I get it from. <laughs> that's fantastic the grape does not fall far from the vine people and then it rolls (laughs) and then it rolls rolls. (laughs) oh that's that's funny so we do have a special say their name emily yes so uh i'm excited about this one because she like you'll see yeah i've been i only heard of like a minuscule piece of this so i'm like i want to know i told kelly i had to say their name that i was very excited about so there is someone in my life who has just had a whole mess of babies and her name is kit kat kit kat kit kat the chocolate eating mouse chalk that doesn't sound good. so my friend jory who i've mentioned multiple times on the podcast who's responsible for that olga of kiev story that you all love so much she has had a mouse in her house for quite a while and she knows that the mouse only eats chocolate it doesn't it doesn't get into the it doesn't get into anything but chocolate and That's so they weird. had to make sure they kept it in like these tight plastic containers and so what they did was they got one of those stay alive traps yeah. where, you know, just kind of like the mouse is a little box and it can't get out. And so she sends me a text and she's like, I caught Kit Kat. I was like, oh, my God, Kit Kat. And they, that's what they nicknamed the mouse because yeah, he's chocolate. That's cute. And so I was like, that's so exciting. Wow. Like, what are you going to do? Blah, 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 blah. So they they kept Kit Kat and they were you know, feeding her mouse food. And then Jory sends me a text. She's like, I have news about Kit Kat dot 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 and I'm like Kit Kat's dead Kit Kat's dead oh god they're dead oh god she's dead um Kit Kat had a bunch of babies (laughs) yeah and mice have little pink wrinkle babies yeah and they always have like eight yeah I mean she's she's got a whole mess of them um she's being a really good mom she's not letting jory or her boyfriend that was my fear okay so that's a thing it's a a thing it's not even just mice no it's It's a rodent rodents it's a rodent my friend 
about rabbits the other day and she was like, oh, we were thinking about breeding rabbits. And I'm like, well, just be careful because sometimes the moms will eat the babies. My mom has a story from when she was a preschool teacher and the class gerbils. One of them had died in the middle of the night. And uh, when she went in the next morning, only half of it was left. Yeah. And Justin (laughs) was saying they had, I can't remember if it was like hamsters or something growing up. And yeah, one of them had babies and then it ate the babies. But so Jory sends me another text and, um, she so so okay sorry let me back up so Kit Kat or Kit Kat Jory babies. yep and Jory was like of course the deadbeat dad is nowhere to be found and uh she she texted me that well I found out what happened to the deadbeat dad I was like oh what he drunk text her saying I'm ready to be a dad now and she told him to blow himself and he was like I'm gonna run off to Alaska where you can't find me and I won't be able to pay child support like I'd come up with this whole narrative for what this deadbeat dad was gonna do and she's like he's dead we found him and they actually think that the chocolate eating mouse was him so they so they call him OG Kit Kat or as I like to say Papa Kit Kat and then there's Mama Kit Kat and she's got all of her babies and she's doing very well and she's not eating them. Because that was my fear when she's like, oh, I, I have some news. I was like, oh, God, is she eating the babies? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, she's being a good mom. She like covers the babies when Jory tries to look at them, but they squeak. And Aww. so Kit Kat, single mom, multiples, doing it on her own yeah. with some help from another, another empowered woman. So cheers to Jory and cheers to Mama Kit Kat. Yay. Mama Kit Kat and the Pink Wrinkle Babies. That's touring summer 2021. <laughs> More like Jory's going to have to find people that want mice. <laughs> you know, I think what they're going to do is release them in the spring when they're all like big enough and maybe just throw them in a field away from the house. Like, yeah. don't put them in the backyard. They'll find I mean, their it's way back be a in. a little bit hard because, you know, well, I mean, I suppose Kit Kat's used to being wild. But I will say, like, Kit Kat has a very special place in my heart. I've been hearing about her for at least two years now. So to finally get to meet Kit Kat and her babies and she is she's a little herstory hero. Kit Kat doing it on doing it for herself. So that's my yeah, that's, totally that's inappropriate awesome. say their name. So hey, now we're going to turn it over to Kelly for her 100 percent appropriate say their name. I thought I was doing the next episode. Okay, tune in for next week. <laughs> when Kelly has a good say there. Yes. Name. Not about Kit Kat, but Kit Kat lives in all of us. All of us. Kit Kat really is too big really to have a corporeal form. <laughs> Please tell me I don't have mice. Yes. Uh, no, I'm kidding. So today we broke open a fancy... So I, a while ago I bought like a fancy... Not box of wine. I bought a crate of three, three or four bottles of wine. It looks fancy as fuck. And it's not fake wood. Like they actually no, yeah. nailed and screwed this box together. It's Kelly had fancy. to unleash her womanly strength to rip it apart. We'll make sure to post a picture of it. The broke now broken box. Yeah. <laughs> so we're drinking. T- so it's four different wines. I think they're all Bordeaux, which is fine. But so today we're drinking Chateau La Grand Moulin, which is a Blay Coates Bordeaux from 2016. Blay Coates Bordeaux. It has a 92 points from wine enthusiasts. I think that's like the what they're all 90 or above point Bordeaux. So like it's 
it's fancy. It wasn't that expensive, but it's fancy. Fancy AF. So I looked it up because there's nothing on the box other than women shouldn't drink wine while pregnant. So it says, the color is concentrated and youthfully radiant. A fine, spicy nose and a ripe, dark fruit precedes a supple, soft attack that leads into freshness and fruit. I'm sorry, a simple, soft attack? Yep. The palate is smooth and generous, enveloped with polished tannins. Tobacco and bay leaf notes lead the way in this red, backed by modest black currant and black cherry fruit flavors. The charcoal spine holds the finish and adds a light rustic feel. I think that's the sexiest wine description we have read on this show. Right. It was a little frightening, but hot. It was like a supple, soft attack. Yeah, this is like the BDSM of wines. Like, a little scary, but really hot. Right. Let's try it. All right. Well, cheers to being back together and Mama Kit Kat. Cheers to Mama Kit Kat. I thought it was going to be a lot more powerful. I really like it, though. Like it's I was, a, very I was a little mellow. bit afraid I wasn't gonna like it when they said tobacco and <laughs> charcoal, and when you got four Bordeaux. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. this is the first time I think we've had Bordeaux on the show. Maybe I know I'm trying to like read the ones we have right up there, but I because that's a great cross section of the wine we drink. Those like five half drank bottles up on the shelf. <laughs> There were two more, and then I drank them last time we recorded. <laughs> I mean, they were, you know, Attic half girl. to a fourth. So, I know I like this. This is a this is a really like subtle, relaxed right. wine, it's a like good winter wine. I I don't know if good, I would use the it's word snowing outside. Yes, I don't know if I would use the word attack with it. It's more like when a cat but it, jumps a, on your lap and curls supple up. Attack. I, Actually, maybe that's exactly what a cat jumping up on your lap and curling up is because there's kind of the initial like, oh, cat on my lap. Oh, cat on my lap. It makes me think of like uh, Navi that does it. Like yesterday. So I sit really weirdly in chairs, like really weirdly. So like right now I'm sitting like She doesn't sit on her butt, guys. No. Uh, no. Sometimes I don't actually. Like I'll sit on my feet anyways. But like I, I was sitting on my butt and I had my feet on the chair. So my knees were up in the air and Navi jumped, realized my my I had a blanket on my lap was like in the way so she had to do like a jump on the like tiny bit of chair that was there and then jump over the blanket oh my god and I'm like clearly there is no room for you up here and so but she like nestled between the tiny space between my legs and like my stomach and was just like this is my spot now (laughs) and I was like you know what no I'm comfortable I'm not moving and she did she just like nestled into that spot it was real weird if I fits I sits oh yeah an obvious park cat yeah 10,000% but I thought it was cute I should have taken a picture but I was doing stuff at the time my friend's chihuahua who we watched during the week uh, she's like that, where she will just melt into you, and wherever and the there is room, yeah, I I spam Kelly with Chihuahua pictures, and she is a better I person it. for it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it feeds her soul. It does. So Emily, I'm really, I'm sorry, I'm just really enjoying this. It, I was uh, like, it's not a chugging wine like no. some of the wines we drink. It's it's a sipping wine, but it's like. A good sipping wine and like it's it not has a that, sipping wine because it hurts it it's a sipping that, wine because yeah. it's mellow and, and it's, relaxed it has that warmth like mm-hmm. you know some sometimes wines have that like when you drink it and then you know you kind of get that warmth you get from all alcohol but you get it like first yeah I, I, i'm getting that with this wine i feel the warmth of this wine in my third eye like i can feel it going up the bridge of my nose and just like right settling into my forehead 
In a good way. It's hot. In a non-headache way. God. I want that wine description to be my Tinder profile, though. That is fantastic. She's a soft, supple attack. I am a soft, supple yeah, attack. <laughs> I'm just, I don't have enough muscles to be <laughs> to be a rough attack. Like, I'm, I'm squishy. I'm squishy and cuddly, and I love it. And you, my dear, get to go first. All right. Well, I am very excited about my story because it is it's kind of cathartic in the like if you're really angry or feeling a little aggressive, if you're ready to unleash a soft, supple attack, this is the story Ooh, for you. I'm excited. I am covering Onake Obava. And this is a story that takes place in India. So mm. get ready from, for some uh, linguistic butchery because it's going to be a little rough, but I am doing my best. Strap in and strap on, everyone. Bitches! All right. So we are traveling to 18th century India. Okay. And unfortunately, this wasn't a very peaceful time. A warlord named Hyder Ali was taking his armies on tour, not the Mama Kit Kat and the wrink- Pink Wrinkle Babies tour, but Dang. like more of a conquering and killing everything in his path tour. Oh, that's not as fun. Less cute, less squeaky. Maybe not less squeaky, just, well, more screamy, I guess, than squeaky. <laughs> it's, there's a subtle difference between squeaky and screamy, but you know it when it's you hear there, it. yeah. And like with a title like Warlord, what do you expect? He's this is what he does. It's what he does. It's what he wants to do. It's what he was born. He is to following do. his bliss and killing everyone in the path of his bliss. You know, he holds it and it gives him joy, so he has to keep it. You know what has truly ruined inspirational quotes for me? Uh, because I see people take them in the completely wrong direction where it's like you fight for what you believe in yeah i'm gonna storm the fucking capital because that's no no no, no. that's not what we're talking no, about no, dude. No, no, no. we're Back talking down. about opening up a small business or starting your podcast or traveling i'm gonna overthrow the government no <laughs> it's not right it's not what we meant so like every piece of inspirational like, yeah, like advice, I'm always like, there's that asshole that's that taking it, person taking advantage yes. of people's encouragement. <laughs> so one town had been spared from the carnage, Chitraruga, uh, a fort town whose ruler Matakari Nayaka was tight with Ali, so like they were buddies until. They weren't. And maybe it was the rampant conquering, or maybe Ali didn't invite the ruler to his birthday party. We will never know. Or maybe he didn't text him back, like I always do with Kelly. (laughs) Whatever caused the rift, Ali would not abide by this betrayal and set his his sights sights on Chitraduga. There was one problem, though. Like I mentioned... Chitraduga. Why did I put that name in there so many times? It sounded so easy when the lady on Google said it. (laughs) This place was a fort town, meaning it was heavily fortified and difficult to penetrate. So it didn't just survive because Ali was friends with the ruler, because it was just really hard to conquer. Ali tried attacking. He tried bribing town officials. He tried barraging Chitraduga with thousands of texts at 2 a.m. He's like... You're not getting any sleep, yeah. bitch. <laughs> He's like, hey, what you doing? What you doing? Hey, you, hey, you, you want to hunt? You want to hang out? You up? What you doing? What you doing? You right. want to fuck? <laughs> DTF question mark. Netflix F- and chill. Yeah. <laughs> 
finally, one of Ali's informants had some good news. He had found a kindy, which means like hole or crevice in Canada. This isn't me fucking up the pronunciation of Canada. It's Canada, which is the language that they spoke. Canada. Canada. <laughs> oh, isn't that what they speak in Canada? So they had found this kindy in one of the fort walls, and this hole was only big enough for a single person to pass through at a time. And Kelly, I'm going to very carefully turn my computer around and show you a picture of this kindy. I don't know if this is the kindy, but this was on kindy. the wiki page. So just to give you an idea. The I don't even think I could fit in that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a like a thin little crevice, but if you want it bad enough. If you want I mean, it bad maybe enough. now I could fit in it, but like <laughs> a year and a half ago, probably not. I feel like for me, my boobs get in the way. That's what I was, I was like, thinking. I fit except right here. I was here. like, they would have to like bind my boobs for me to fit in that crevice. My computer literally just went black. Hold on. <laughs> Apparently my computer was very offended uh, with all the whole talk. It was like, nah, don't show, don't show Kelly that hole. Yeah. Stop showing people your holes, Emily. <laughs> it's impolite. You know what, computer? Just because you're afraid of my holes doesn't mean other people no, are. I embrace Hashtag holes. all holes are beautiful. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. If Hashtag I'm be- show me your kindy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that that gonna- I like. <laughs> We're going to get some really inappropriate emails. <laughs> Okay. Hey, at least we'd be getting emails from people. Yeah. <laughs> we get beautiful emails from we beautiful do. people, as is. I, I don't need those kinds. <laughs> so Ali realized this was his best bet and only chance of penetrating the fort's holes. <laughs> this story might actually be a fable talking about a different grosser event, but we're but not we gonna, don't care. We're not, yeah. not going to delve into that Taking one. this at face value. There was one more obstacle, though. There was a sentry named Kahale Muda Hanuma. He was stationed near the hole. And I couldn't figure out if this was like, uh, I should just call it a kindy. I need to stop saying the word hole. Yeah, you do. So I couldn't tell if people were using this kindy for some reason or if it like they just knew it was there and they were like, "Mm, someone should probably keep an eye on that. It's it's like a rash. Like, well, let's just watch it and see what happens. So they waited until Kahale was on his lunch break and Ali began sending men through the hole. I'm, I'm, fuck it. I'm sticking with it. I'm not self-editing. All holes are beautiful. Meanwhile, Kahale was home with his wife, Obava, and realized he was thirsty because Obava was a super chill wife. She went out to collect water from the pond for her husband, Aww, which like, that's, that's sweet. Nice. Obava, you good people. On her way to the pond, Obava passed the hole in the fort wall and spotted the invaders. Obava was not having this. She's like, you climbed through our hole, bitches. Get out of my hole. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky for her, she was carrying an onaki, uh, which was like a long wooden club meant for pounding patty grains. And here's a picture just so you can imagine it. And hopefully my computer doesn't... Fucking yell at me again. I kind of want it to. We're this real slow. All right. Real slow. Real slow and gentle. Real chill. Oh, shit. Do you see how that's bigger than she is? Yeah. So, I mean, it's. It it looks like, okay, envision a cardboard, like, poster tube, but, like, twice the normal size. And it's solid. solid. (laughs) Yes. 
And then smack someone with it. Yeah. Like, and it's too thick for you to fit your whole hand around. Like, this thing is yeah, huge. Yeah, it is. So. <laughs> this is like the innuendo story. <laughs> oh, my. No, this is truly like some kind of metaphorical myth because we have the phallic object and we have the hole and there's going to be some pounding involved. Yeah. So get ready. So instead of going into a blind fury, Obava used her cunning because she's smart as hell. When an enemy soldier passed through the hole, she used the Onaki to bash his head in in one swift strike. I suppose because that way they think they're getting in. But you're just killing them off as they come. And they don't have any time to like freak out. And because this was like a covert mission, they're not expecting to hear fighting on the other side. It's supposed to be very quiet. So she'd then move the body out of sight and wait for the next poor bastard. Right, because you don't want them trying to like back out of the hole. Exactly, exactly. This allowed Obava to continue cracking skulls without alerting the rest of the army outside. Right, and her husband's probably like... Where's my water? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. But then she probably came Get back and thirsty. he was like, no, nah, we're good. We'll find out what happens with him. None of the men on the outside suspected anything was wrong because they're, like I said, their whole mission was to stealthily infiltrate the city walls. So they weren't waiting for war cries or anything. In fact, the silence of their dead comrades was a sign that everything was peachy keen jelly bean. Right. Exactly. Like no alarms are getting yep. raised. So everything's fine. Obava continued playing whack-a-mole with soldiers until her husband, probably tired of waiting for his fucking water, returned to his post to see Obava next to a pile of hundreds of corpses. Which, like, either she's really quick at killing people or he has a lot of patience. Because, like, if he was waiting for her to come back for that long, where she was able to kill, like, hundreds of dudes, like, I imagine they have, like, a really lovely marriage. Right? (laughs) He's just like, I trust my wife. Something something happened. Something held her up. And then, like, finally, like, five hours later, I think I'm going to go check on her. Yeah. So so he comes Maybe up. Maybe he fell asleep. He took a nap. <laughs> so he comes up. She's standing next to all these bodies. She is covered in blood. And she's Hi, just honey. standing there waiting for the next guy. And I like to think that she bashed someone's skull and looked up to see her husband and was like, oh, hi, honey. <laughs> I literally have that in my notes. Yeah, good. I'll let you, I'll get your water in a minute. I just got caught up in something. You know how it goes. Right. You know. Kahale sounded the alarm and some much welcomed backup finally arrived to help her battle the invaders. Tragically, though, Obava would not live to see another day. What? According to some tellings, Obava was stabbed by an enemy soldier, but she managed to bash his head in before succumbing to his in- to her injuries. Sorry. In other stories, she just straight up died from exhaustion. And guys, this is why warming up before killing hundreds of men is it's so important. important. You need to stretch. You need to stay hydrated. Stretch before you pound things coming out of holes. Yes. <laughs> We're going in. <laughs> <laughs> because I apparently refused to have a happy ending, Ollie's invaders still overtook overtook Chitaruga at a later date. Like, not that day, but, like, later they were able to just kind of, like, overcome them. Because Obaba was dead. Right? They're, like, one defender. <laughs> See, clearly her husband needed to realize it sooner because clearly she needed water. Yes! I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give her a talking to. My needs are important, too. And she's sitting there, like, panting 
desperate for water, covered in blood. She's like, you think blood would be hydrating, honey, but it's just not. It's not. It's too salty. It tastes like iron, and I'm not into it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Despite all this, Obava's bravery and upper arm strength became a legend. Fuck you. Her full title became Onake Obava, referring to the her bashing stick. Her man bashing stick. <laughs> yeah, her head bashing stick. Uh, and the and the hole where she felled hundreds of soldiers is known as the Obavana Kindi. Aww. So it's like the Obava hole. They're like, no, <laughs> we're leaving this here. Yes. This hole has to stay. Obava's achievement and her story's stay, stay power is particularly impressive because apparently she was part of the Dalit class. So back in episode 69, when I covered the Gulabi gang, I went to the caste system of India a bit. And so the Dalit class were the lowest, considered yep. the untouchables. So there, and there's and she no became, way to get out of that. She became married to someone? That was like of a higher class. I don't know if a sentry is part of a higher class. This dude okay. was guarding a hole. That's I don't true. think he was that big of a deal. So legacy. Onake Obava is still considered a hero in the southwestern state of Karnataka uh, and the Kannada people where Chitaruga is located. You can still visit the Obavana Kindi where so many skulls were crushed. It's going to be on our history, our international history tour when that yes. comes about. What brings you to India? We're visiting a hole. We're visiting a hole where skulls a bunch were of people smashed. died. That's Just- it hole of death right when we go through customs yeah. why are you here well death hole <laughs> there's this hole yes <laughs> we're taking mama kit kat and the pink wrinkle babies on tour don't worry about it and there's this hole <laughs> don't they've worry always, about the hole they've always wanted to see a bloody hole <laughs> uh. And so you can still visit this kindy, and some visitors report getting terrible headaches there. No, I'm kidding. Probably the men. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. But like, wouldn't that be cool? I want to start that rumor. Yeah, we should go. There, it's like a, that's gonna be a haunted thing. site, and men all with right. impure thoughts get headaches. All, all right, uh, funerary cults and non-funerary cult members, we're gonna start this. Yes. Hashtag kindy headache. <laughs> Hashtag show me your kindy. <laughs> and that is the story of Onake Obava, the cranium crusher. Ooh. What? I know I know what half the episode title is going to be. Yes. I, I almost stole the one from Rejected Princesses because they called her uh, the whack, world whack-a-mole champion. <laughs> that's, that's pretty great. <laughs> from too. like 17 whatever to present. I'm like, this, these are facts. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll just jump right into mine. Yeah, who Mine are you whining not about a today? World whack-a-mole champion. So I'm whining about Jeanette Rankin. All right, she's. I bet she's gonna Rankin up there with some of our favorite ladies. Yeah, that was cute. That was cute. I like that. I try. So Jeanette was born in about 1880 in Missoula, Montana, or nearby. You know, it's Montana. Meh. <laughs> kidding. I've never they have no boundaries in Montana. It's just big, wide open spaces full of horses. Right. And this was only nine years after Montana actually became a state. Or no, this is nine years before oh, Montana okay. became a state. So this is still like the territory of So this Montana. is Montana BS before statehood. Yeah. All right. So she was born to a school teacher named Olive and a Scottish Canadian immigrant named John. Um, Can I just a- say I love the name Olive? I know. I, do. I love that name. I would name a cat Olive because I don't want to have children. <laughs> I would name a dog Olive. Oh, I would. Olive. 
Oh, did you ever see the the books or the cartoons when you were a kid? All of the other reindeer. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was so it was cute, cute because it was adorable. she. I and I didn't get the joke when I was a kid because I didn't understand that all of sounded like yep. all live. So yeah, if anyone so doesn't she, know, there's a cartoon. I don't know what the actual name of the cartoon is, but the the premise is there's a dog named Olive, and she hears you know the whole all of the other reindeer and she's like i'm the other reindeer and so it's like this whole movie about her trying to get to the north pole to help santa and it's yeah. real cute and in the cartoon she's voiced by drew barrymore so it's the cutest shit yeah, if you have children cute. introduce them to all of the other reindeer <laughs> it's real cute anyway so her dad was a carpenter and a rancher so this, you know working class family yeah she was the eldest of six children poor um, mother Five sisters, one of whom would die in childhood, and a brother named Wellington, who would become Montana's attorney general and later Montana's Supreme Court justice. Which and then later invented some really bitchin' rain boots. Right. Um, but that will come That will come around, knowing what that he becomes higher powered later becomes a thing. Also, one of her sisters that I might have to cover later named Edna became the first Montana-born women to pass the bar exam in Montana, and was also an early activist for birth control. Oh, Edna! Yeah! Yeah. I mean, clearly she wants to get it. That's why she wants birth control. Yeah, she's like, I want to get it, but I don't want to have kids. I want to have control over my body. She's like us. I don't want, I want to get it, but I don't want to keep it. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god, I feel like our synergy is so much better when we're together. Oh, I'm like, just vibe, I'm getting a contact high from your energy. just like, (laughs) constant euphoric state yes, over here you are and you're very purple today because your hair is purple yeah. and your sweatshirt I know, but is I need purple to get, that's the one thing like you're like let's take a picture and i'm like but my roots <laughs> it actually looks because oh. your your blonde hair is so light it almost looks like silver oh, bleeding good. into purple and not like you're old not and like gray. i'm old and gray no not when it gray. first started growing in that's what it looked like i'm like it looks like i have a like half gray hair love it Monday. I'm going in Monday to get my roots done. That's when my next box of wine comes. So Monday's going to be a great day for both of us. So random side note, we found out something about Emily ordering boxed wines. Yeah. You can apparently, what is it like? You can only get like so so many boxes in a month or a year. Okay. So thanks to Minnesota state law. This is some real like BS. Not before. Hey, we finally opened, you know. We can buy alcohol on Sundays from liquor stores. We're getting there. Yeah, we, we're, we're we weird about start, alcohol. We need to start a petition that <laughs> you can get more than, what, like two boxes of wine? So according to, so I tried to order my box in 2020. This would have been my third box for the year. And I received a notice from the website Naked Wines I used that said, your state doesn't want you to have wine. And I'm like, the fuck? And I, I looked it up. Minnesota only allows you to have a, uh, like, de- wine delivered to your home twice in a so year. So I wonder if we got a P.O. box, could we get more wine? I don't know. I, what you can also do, I, I'm, I'm probably still going to stick with Naked Wines because what you can also do is have it sent to like a Walgreens or something and pick it up. But I was like, but I want it wonder. I mean, I wonder if you, what you could do is send one box to your house and then another box to mine and then, you, you know, like just swap back and forth. I'm just going to be... get four boxes I'm going to be spamming addresses with wine. It's going to be great. My parents are going to get it. Right, just Kelly's text someone, get hey, it. I'll be by to pick up my box of wine. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I I, deci- I had a bunch of money in my account, so I decided to wait until 2021. I spent 
like all of the money in there to get another box. Yeah, I think I'm gonna be buying. And then a I'm box gonna I'm soon. gonna do it again. I'll decide if I keep the account. But I like I like it. I like shopping for wine online and then getting my exciting yeah. box. So. I might do that because uh, we get like a g- every time we do Hello Fresh, we get that's that's for later. Anyways, yes. so. Jeanette uh, grew up on a ranch because, you know, her dad was a rancher um, and she had many tasks. We've talked about this before, like women that grow up on ranches, especially in the states that were like known for ranching, the like frontier Montana. states. Yeah. Um, so like she would do the cleaning and sewing. She would do farm chores, various outdoor work, helping care for her younger siblings. Like it wasn't all what people would consider women's work. Like, yep. they shared responsibilities. That's, you know, that's a frontier thing. It doesn't matter who plows the field as long as the field gets plowed. Exactly. Which she, I just realized sounds really real sexual. Real bad. <laughs> um, she would also uh, help maintain the machinery on the farm. So she was fairly, like, technological minded. Um, she also single-handedly built a wooden sidewalk for one of the buildings her father owned so that they could rent it out. So I she's still like, love, I'm going to get this shit done. I still love that wooden sidewalks used to be thing I, I it makes perfect sense to me guys but Until i just rains, cannot and then imagine you're like that's gonna rot i just i still cannot imagine like a world where we had wooden sidewalks right um anyways uh jeanette would go on to talk about her childhood like you know obviously later in her life and she made an observation that while women in the 1890s in the western frontier labored side by side as equals with men they did not have an equal political voice nor an equal legal right to vote. These are all facts. I just love how you say she noticed. I know. These she, things. she just made this note. One day um, she was like, you know what? I just realized I don't have equal rights. Right? What's up with that, guys? So Jeanette did go on to graduate from high school in 1898, which is great. Like, wow. That's impressive. She actually went on to study at the University of Montana and uh, graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in biology. So that's yeah. great. Like she's, she's getting shit done. She's like, no, I want to be an educated woman. Um, she explored a variety of careers. She did a little bit of dressmaking, a little bit of furniture design, a little bit of teaching. You know, like she's like what a little do bit I smashing do the patriarchy on the weekends, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, in 1904, her father died, so she went home to take care of her siblings. You know, she had five other siblings. She was the eldest back then. I feel like even now, in certain families and certain certain cultures, you know, it's very much like. You know, okay, my dad's dead. Someone needs to help my mother. Especially if the siblings are much younger, you know. And I don't know what the age gap between her siblings was, but after her father died, she did go on to care for her siblings. Um, A few years later, at the age of 27, she went on, you know, her siblings were old enough. She moved to San Francisco and took a job in social work, which uh, at the time was very new it was yeah. still developing like this it was in its infancy and she's like you know that's what i want to do i want to help other people i'm really warm hold on the wine is getting to me <laughs> um so when she started working as social work she she was confident that she found her calling she very much wanted to help other people and you know the field of social work was very some like something that she was into so she enrolled in what was known as the new york school of philanthropy obviously in new york city um and so she did that for a year and then she moved to seattle to attend the university of washington and when she was there she became involved in the women's suffrage movement i just i love i it blows my mind it's fantastic but it blows my mind that social work was something at the time because i am 
I imagine it. You know, that's someone so going from house to house and just telling the women why it's their fault that their marriage isn't working and like, and why oh, my husband beats me and, you know, my kids obey. Right. Well, maybe you should just like pray more or stop being such a bitch all the time. <laughs> right. So in November of 1910, Washington voters, Washington State, I feel like I need to like you. You absolutely clarify do. that. You absolutely do. Washington state voters approved an amendment to their specific state constitution to permanently enfranchise women. Of course, we all we all know what Wyoming came first, but I I mean I at least eventually you know. If you listen to our bonus Hursery Happenings episode about how women helped win the West, you we, know we that love Wyoming. we have a little love affair with Wyoming, which is. The, truly the twist of the century. It really Did not is. expect to have any, po- like, strong positive feelings about Wyoming. But feelings we, in general. We love but- you, Wyoming. <laughs> I know, right? It's neutral. Anyways. So Washington was actually the fifth state of the union to do so. So, you know, it's still early. Um, so after that, shortly after that, not because they enfranchised women, but just because in general, like, she was done with schooling and stuff. So she returned to New York. And Jeanette became one of the first organizers of the New York Women's Suffrage Party. So because she's like, you know what? I saw this done in Washington State. Like, let's get this done in New York. You know, (laughs) so she became like she formed the Women's Suffrage Party and she joined with other suffrage organizations that promoted similar things to push a bill to the state legislator. She also often traveled to Washington, not Washington State. Washington, D.C., um, <laughs> to lobby Congress on behalf of the National uh, American Suffrage Association or the N- NAWSA. I don't know if their acronym is actually No, it's, it's NASA. We, we've talked about them before. I call NASA. them NASA. 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 Because they were, I think it was them. They NASA were kind of assholes to Ida B. Wells. Yeah, if I remember Yeah, right. because they were, they were kind of racist because the suffrage movement, unfortunately, had a lot of inherent racism into it. And that right. sucks. And we need to acknowledge that. Exactly. For unknown reasons, Jeanette moved back to Montana. Maybe I would assume maybe family reasons. But she went home and uh, rose through the ranks of her su- the suffrage organization in Montana. Like, Because obviously by that time... Suffrage was kind of taking place, you know, with with five to six states already. It was the hot new thing. Exactly, it was. <laughs> um, Women voting, mm, how droll. So soon after becoming home, she actually rose through the ranks all the way to become the president of the Montana Women's Suffrage Association and the national field secretary secretary to NASA or NASA, whatever. NASA. Um in 1911, she became the first woman to speak before the Montana legislator uh, because she she went there to argue support for the enfranchisement of women. You know, she was like, dude, other people are letting us vote. Let us vote. Like, come on. She's like, hey, guys, do you see how I'm a woman? Yeah. Okay. What inherently about me makes me not a human being, though? Let's let's if talk about boobs. That. I'm going to smack you with a stick. <laughs> I will smack you with these boobs. They <laughs> <laughs> might like that. She's got she's got her own anarchy. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, bitch, try me. <laughs> Say boobs. Give me a reason. <laughs> give me a reason. And um, then give me the vote. <laughs> yeah. And in February of 1911, um, or no, that was when she spoke. In 1914, Montana did eventually become the seventh state. So only one state between New York and Montana. <laughs> Come on, guys. Um, Montana did become the seventh state to grant women unrestricted voting rights. So Seven's we're, my favorite number. You know, we're moving up. She then 
Uh, Jeanette went on to coordinate a grassroots organization to promote suffrage campaigns in New York um, in Montana, obviously, you know, national like Montana did have voting rights for women. But, you know, she's like, let's make this national. And she did eventually go on to North Dakota as well. But it started in New York and Montana. Um, And later she would actually draw from those same grassroots when she would run for Congress. But that's we have. Oh, I'm sorry. We have a few years. We have a few years to that. You're um, teasing me. I know. She would go on to compare her work in the women's suffrage movement to promoting the pacifist foreign policy. So she was a pacifist, apparently. Oh, so she probably was not say sh- in the legislature shouting, give me a reason. Give me a reason. She might have, but it was all a bluff. <laughs> give me a reason to not smack you. Like, you don't know I'm not going to smack I don't you, but want, I'm not going to smack you. I don't you. want to smack you. I am a pacifist. It's against my nature. Right. So give me a reason to not do it, please. Exactly. So she believed, as many other suffragists and um, pacifists of the time did, that the corruption and dysfunction of the United States government was what resulted in a lack of women's participation. Uh, later at a conference, um, she would say, quote, the peace problem is a woman's problem. I love it. And she's so not wrong. Right. And we still deal with that today. Right. So in 1916, uh, Jeanette ran for Congress uh, in Montana. They had two House seats open. Um, and in this t- at this time, she was financed and managed by her brother, Wellington, who we know... From the fancy rain boots. Yeah. And he went on to be, you know, attorney general and stuff in his own right. So, like, he had some clout and, like, ability to help her. I'm just imagining. Makes me a little bit mad. But at the same time, I'm like, at least he's helping his sister. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with being in a position of power. It's about how you use that power. Exactly. Also, and sometimes you know how what? you get there. But. And he's, he's, he's helping women. So I'm 100% on board with him. I'm imagining a very, like, handsome, put-together guy in a really fancy suit, but just, just like, with yes, giant yes. rain boots. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he's no... You help me support my boots, I'll help you support your You supported run. me wearing boots with suits when I was a wee lad, and I am here to do the same for you. Yes. <laughs> So her brother Wellington helped her and she would go on to travel long distances to reach the state's wildly scattered population. Even today, Montana is very, you know, like spread out. Yeah, there's a lot of ranches and stuff. And, you know, like the cities are very far away from each other. So she she did a lot of traveling. to. It's ranches, horses and mountains. Yeah. I always envisioned myself living in Montana like on the this probably doesn't exist. But in my mind, it does like. At the base of a prairie, but behind you, there's like mountains. And so you live on flat land, but then there's mountains like in the distance. There is uh, there's an episode of King of the Hill where, you know, Peggy's characters yeah. from Montana. She goes back and visits. And it looks just like that. That's and exactly what I'm like. One day I they will live own a ranch to- in Montana. And now I'm just like, you know, what? I'm I'm, I'm chill staying in Minnesota. Yeah. But they live they live next to Henry Winkler because he's like That's us. Right. Henry Winkler's like, it's so beautiful out here. I just want to live and look at pretty things. And they're trying to run a ranch. And they're like, dude, you're kind of jamming up our stuff here. That's funny. <laughs> um. So she would also go on to rally support uh, at tr- like she would talk on tra- at strange reasons, street corners, potluck suppers on ranches, one room schoolhouses. Like she was just like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to the people wherever I can do that. Right. I'm going to do that. Um, she ran a progress, a pretty progressive campaign for like the era she was in. 
She emphasized suffrage, social welfare, and prohibition. Boo on that last point. Yeah. A, a, lo- a lot of women in politics at the time were against prohibition. Except but, for her, apparently. Or no, sorry, not, not against, yeah. against alcohol for prohibition. But can you blame them because they're, all their husbands were blowing their well, money on alcohol? It's also like that's that was a big ticket thing, like... You know, you kind of got to go with what other people are going. It with. was almost like the like the morality. Yeah, exactly. Plug. Yeah. Um. So in the Republican primary, so she was running, you know, as a Republican, she received the most votes of all of the Republican candidates. There's eight Republican candidates in her state, and she received the most votes. Um. In the at-large election, um, the top two vote getters won seats. That's how that worked. But I mean, I think that's still how it works. They had two open seats, so the top two people get them. Yeah. Um, she finished second uh, and became the first woman elected to Congress. Wait, how did she get? Oh, was the other person a Democrat? Because um, if she got the most votes of all the yes. Republicans, but she yep. still came in second. Okay. Yep. The other person was the Democrat. Math. During her victory speech, she said, quote, I am deeply conscious of the responsibility resting upon me. I hope quote. she said responsibility. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> a little drunk. No, we're drinking wine. It's fine. But I really hope she actually said that. Everyone yeah, was did. like, wait, wait, did she say that? But everyone was too embarrassed to yep. actually say anything. <laughs> As the only woman in the nation with voting power in Congress, she, you know, she very much did have a lot of responsibility resting on her shoulders. Her election generated considerable nationwide interest, including several marriage proposals, apparently, all of which she just kind of ignored. All those dudes want that political pussy so bad. Right. <laughs> um, wait, I, and I, I just want to clarify, is she representing Montana Montana, yeah, in the Congress, wow, in Congress, in the na- in the U.S. In Congress. Congress, yes, okay, in I, Congress. I, I thought it was like the Mo- like Montana's no. Congress, Congress. Okay. <laughs> Damn, yep. So shortly after her term turn began, Congress called uh, an extra session in April in response to Germany's declaration of unrestricted submarine warfare on all Atlantic shipping. Oh, because this is in World War One. Oh yep. no! So on April second. President Woodrow Wilson addressed a joint session of the Congress and the House and asked Congress to make, quote, make the world safer for democracy um, by declaring war on Germany. Because those who don't know or those that live outside the United States, the president generally, unless there's like a state of emergency, generally needs the Congress's approval to go to war. It's part of our checks and balance system. One man cannot decide we are going to war. It has to be a lot of, quite a few people. (laughs) Um, I mean, they could totally instigate a war through other means, but they can't say it. (laughs) So the president asking Congress to debate on this became, it was a big thing. Like it ended up in a huge debate. Um, and the, the resolution came first from the house at three. Cause the house always, I think the house always votes first. Yes. Like it's the house yeah. and then the Senate. It has to go. So anything has to go through the house first and then it has to go to the Senate. And then the, pr- it goes to the president who can either give the thumbs up or veto yeah. it. If and something gets point, vetoed, it goes back to the house weird. through the Senate. And if it gets to the president a second time, he can't the, veto it. Right. Yeah. The president can't veto something two times because otherwise he could just shoot down everything, literally, literally everything. And nothing would get done. Again, this, this is our attempt at checks and balances, guys. Um, okay. So, Sounds so good on paper. So the war resolution came to a vote in the House at 3 a.m. 
Jeanette was one of 50 votes in opposition to going to war. She said, quote, I wish to stand for my country, but I cannot vote for war. Years later, she would go on to add, quote, I felt the first time the first woman had a chance to say no to war, she should say it. I, I totally get that. And it seems that she has a sense of respect for the his the historical nature of her right. position. Although 49 other male representatives and six senators also voted against the declaration of war, Jeanette was... Ooh. I'll clean that up It's in a going down. Yeah, right. We're going. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, no! Oh, oh yeah! Minnesotan. Oh. Uh, so... Although other people also voted against it, she was very much singled out for criticism. Um, A lot of people used her vote for no to discredit the suffrage movement and her authority in Congress. Although a lot there were other people that applauded it and were like, yes, you know, Um, including Alice Paul, who is part of the (gasps) National Women's Party and representative um, and another representative named Ferrello LaGuardia. So, like, there were people that were like, no, you know what? She's standing by what she thinks is right. Well, and it seems very unfair that she was one of 50 people right. who were all like, and I don't know about war. And they're like, the woman doesn't want war because exactly. she's a bitch and she doesn't she doesn't have the convictions to kill a bunch of people. It's like, hey, what about these other four? They're picking on her because she's a, she's woman. a woman. If she had voted for war, they probably would have been like, women want war. Women are so violent. They can't. They're slaves to their emotions and she can't think sensibly. Uh. Like, it, it sucks because it's it. It just seems like her being a woman was going to single her out no matter what she did. So, like, good for her oh, for being, just being like, this is what I believe. I don't care what the rest right? of you and think. I, I think part of it was also she's like, you know what? I'm going to stand for women. And most women probably don't want their sons to go to war. Right. Because, you know, back then, I actually still, women are not included in drafts. Hopefully we never get. I think um, we and actually back totally. then I don't even think women were really allowed in the army. Like you could, definitely you not had to combat. be a nurse. Yeah, definitely not in combat. Yeah. So I think you know it was very much she was like you know what I'm gonna she, even though she wasn't a mother like she's like I'm gonna vote for how I think other women would vote as well. Yeah, and here's the thing: you don't have to be a mother to have empathy for no, women exactly. with children. I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm adding to what oh, you're okay. saying. So Jeanette would also... Kelly hates mothers. <laughs> no, I really don't. Um, I don't necessarily want to be one, but I do not hate them. So Jeanette would go on to use her office to also push for better working conditions. Um, this is something I actually didn't know about. But in 1917, there was apparently a really bad mine disaster in Butte, Montana. Or Butt, Montana. <laughs> I was going to say, please call it Butt. It's... It's pronounced Butte, but, but I knew Emily. Wa- it's B-U-T-T-E. They Here's the thing. Uh, her story had canon. It originally was spelled B-U-T-T. And then someone was like, doesn't it say butt? And they're like, oh, shit. Um, we're changing that. Add an E. Yeah. It's like Shit's Creek. Yeah, <laughs> We're exactly. going to add a T. It's not that kind of shit. <laughs> and, and a C. Because it's S-C-H-I-T-T-S. It? Oh, okay. You're right. Um. But so there was this speculator mine disaster, um, and it left 168 miners dead. Oh, my God. Mine disasters are like... They're terrible. A special kind of hell. When Kelly and I went on that ghost tour, they told us the story of a Minnesota mining disaster, which was just... I mean, luckily, some people got out of that one, but I'm just still like... Just to mm. tell the horror. 
Yeah. Like, just- and that was not even like a typical mine disaster because, like, usually mine disasters come when the mine collapses. That was like they hit a lake and the mine just filled with water. Yeah. Someone decided it was a really great idea to mine next to a lake. Uh, and they hit the lake, yeah, and then was, everyone oh, drowned. Yeah, it was terrible. And people are like trying to scramble up this ladder to get to the top, and they're it's oh. it was fucking awful. Mine disasters are terrible. That's, yeah, that's where we're at. Special kind of nightmare. That and submarines. Fuck mines. Fuck submarines. Yeah. Emily, twenty twenty four on the platform of fuck mines. Fuck submarines. Exactly. That shit's scary. <laughs> Um, so obviously after that, a lot of workers call, like, did a massive protest over working conditions. Because um, I'm sure it could have, was easily preventable if people actually cared about human life. Like, and Jeanette wanted to go and, like, talk to these miners, but the mining companies refused to let her. Yeah, because she's going to point out that the mining companies let these people die. Exactly. So, yeah, like, they wouldn't meet with her and they wouldn't let her meet with the miners. But she, even though she wouldn't, they wouldn't let her, she still proposed um, a legislation to end the strike. Like, you know, she was like, okay, let's give them what they want. Uh, It was unfortunately unsuccessful. She did have slightly better success for pushing for better working regulations in the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Um... Because she w- she went and listened to the grievances of the federal workers in that bureau, which included long hours and excessively demanding work pace. So she was able to help them, at least. Yeah. Um, she also went on to hire Elizabeth Watson, who was a reporter at the time, to investigate, which empowered women, empowering women. That's Hell great. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that also helped draw attention to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Um, unfortunately, like, so she was doing all this work. And then, of course, a man stepped in, a man named um, William McAdoo or McAdoo. McAdoo. Who was the, <laughs> he is McAdoo. The, who was the Treasury Secretary at the time. Like, so, you know, she was doing all the groundwork. And then he came in and was like, well, here's my investigation. And that's ultimately what led to an eight hour workday. Although I'm, you know, she built the foundation. Wait, wait. So she did the work and then he was like, he was like, I'm going to do my own investigation using her work. Basically. So he took credit. I don't know for sure because I didn't read into him. But yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Okay. Well, here's the thing. If, If he did work, he definitely deserves recognition for that. But it sounds like. She also does. He took center stage and she was pushed to the side and not recognized right. because. Well, because and she tried to like work for those miners, but they didn't let her. Yeah. You know, Too bad so. she couldn't just drop a pin like, hey, I know the mining companies won't let me come talk to you, but I'm going to be hanging out at this bar. Right. That only serves soda because I'm for prohibition. If you guys just happen to come in between the hours of four and eight, I, I will, will be, be there <laughs> in the back. Corner. Sipping on a sarsaparilla. Yeah, there you go. So, um, by 1970, women had been granted some form of voting rights in about 40 states. Did you say 1970? 1917. Okay. I might have said 70. Is that true that not all women had voting rights in 1970? Because I could believe it. Yeah, right. When did did all indigenous women get the right to vote? I don't even know. It was not that long ago. Um, so no, 1917, in about 40 states, women had been granted some form, not even full voting rights, yeah. but some form of voting rights. Jeanette, con- however, was continuing to lead movements for unrestricted voting rights for women for universally, or at least American universally. Nationally. Nationally. There you go. That's, That's what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> and she was instrumental in creating the Committee on Women's Suffrage, and she was one of its founding members. 
Um, a year later, after it was formed, the committee delivered a report to Congress, and Jeanette opened the congressional debate um, on a constitutional amendment granting universal suffrage to women. This is kind of the beginning of the talks with Congress for the 19th Amendment. Um, the resolution did pass the House this first time, but was defeated by the Senate. Oh, come on, Senate. Right. So the following year, um, Jeanette's term ended, so she was no longer in Congress. Um, but the same resolution passed both chambers, the House and the Senate. And after ratification by three-fourths of the states, it became the 19th Amendment for the United States. And we just celebrated the 100-year anniversary of that. Right. So, and she was, so she was around for it, which is amazing. You know, that she yeah. like started all the foundational work and she was around to see it because we've covered some women that weren't. You know, that they did some of the foundational work, but then they didn't live to see it happen. So a legacy is planting seeds in a garden you may never get to see. That's beautiful. Is that actually like a quote from somewhere? That's from Hamilton. Okay, (laughs) That would be why I haven't seen it, because I'm like, I haven't seen Hamilton. Kelly's like, of course, it's fucking from Hamilton. You should just assume it's from Hamilton. But I I always like that because we cover these stories so often where where a figure does something so great that really does help lead to something greater. Yeah, but they don't get to see it. Or they don't get to benefit from it. I know, it's so sad. And it's always so tragic. And we're still seeing that today. People are fighting for things that they will never get to benefit from but that doesn't make the fight any less important right so while the united states was being awesome and ratifying the 19th amendment like i said jeanette's term ran out and montana at the time decided to replace its two congressional seats with like a two single member district so like they basically split their like state in half and was like okay this this half will vote for one seat and this half will vote for the other i think i don't know i don't know how voting works kidding <laughs> Kel, here's the important thing kelly knows to research her candidates and then go and vote yeah that's exactly that's what all I do. she needs to know. um so the half of montana she was in was overwhelmingly democratic and she kind of knew that she wasn't gonna win that so instead of running for congress she decided to try and run for senate instead however she lost the republican primary um but she did go on to accept a nomination from the national party but finished third in the general election. I also want to just throw a little note out there for some of our listeners, especially international listeners who may not be aware. So your perceptions or impressions of the values of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party Used nowadays, they were very much reversed. So if you're surprised that a woman is running for the Republican nomination, it was very much the opposite. So you can think of like the OG Republican Party as more progressive while the Democratic Party was definitely more conservative and uh, pretty keen on suppressing human rights. So, hold on. Sorry. Um, I'll talk to you about that after. Um, so after leaving Congress, obviously, because she was done, Uh, She worked as a field secretary for the National Consumers League and then as a lobbyist for various pacifist organizations because she's still on that, you know. She's still on that let's not all just kill each other, guys. (laughs) Right. She argued for a passage of an amendment for banning child labor, which is great. Um, She supported the Shepard Towner Act, which was the first social welfare program created explicitly for women and children. Wow. Which is great. Um. 
Which was enacted in 1921, but then repealed in 1929. Uh, um, however, uh. in 1935, a lot of like the the main components of it were brought back in the Social Security Act. Okay, so I think you know. I and that I think the Social Security Act was l- largely written by uh, Francis Perkins, who I, I covered in so. a past episode. Yeah. Another history hero, right? Yeah. She knew. She right? fucking knew. So Jeanette would go on to buy her own small farm in Georgia. She Aww. would live a very simple life. She actually lived without electricity and plumbing. Why? I would assume by choice, but I don't, because I mean, maybe that's what she grew up with. I don't fucking know. Oh, that sounds awful. Um, like... she, however, she did also maintain a residence in Montana. So she was living in Georgia. To use but the she, bathroom. You know, right? <laughs> she, she kept her residence in Montana. Um... She would go on to make frequent speeches around the country on behalf of the Women's Peace Union and the NCPW, which was the National Council for the Prevention of War. Um, she would she founded the Georgia Peace Society. Um, which, I thought you were going to say Georgia Peach Society. That would be great. <laughs> I'm sure that was already founded by then. Um, Before the Georgia Peace Society, everyone's like, guys, we really need a society dedicated to these peaches. Are you seeing these things? They are ripe. <laughs> so she she founded the Georgia Peace Society, which would go on to serve as a pacifism like headquarters, kind of, um, until its dissolution in 1941 on the eve of World War II. Oh, God. Which makes sense, I guess. Um, So she would go on to oppose uh, Franklin Roosevelt's proposals to intervene on the side of the British in 1937, which is World War II. Yes. Which, I mean, we didn't join for, uh, we didn't join in 1937, but. We joined in 1941 after Pearl Harbor was attacked. So, But uh, Roosevelt did ask to join earlier, which I don't know how it would have, I don't know. Anyways. But so she very much was against, obviously, she's a pacifist joining the British. Um, she argued that both sides wish to avoid a second European war and should that we should pursue a diplomatic solution instead of going back to war. She testified before multiple congressional committees on this um, to oppose a variety of preparedness measures. And when it became clear that her efforts were largely ineffective she resigned her position at the ncpw and declared her intention to regain a seat in the house and you know i i'm normally very much like yeah let's find a diplomatic solution versus going to war unfortunately we all know what was fighting hitler and that dude needed to get taken down Yeah, right (laughs) the sooner it could have happened the better it probably would have been for everyone yeah we didn't know hindsight's 2020 literally at this point who the hell like like every pretty much everyone who was involved in that saw world war one who the hell wants to do that again exactly people didn't think the world could go to war in general and then it happened no. and they're like oh and it's yeah happening and it was called again? it was called like the great war yeah world war one was the great war the war to end all wars like that was the thing so yeah the people that were alive during both of them of course they wouldn't want to go back they were like that was terrible honestly and it, it was it was the time between world war one and world war two it was like a big time out it really, really was because it it didn't settle down. It didn't stop. No, there was it, it just, was always like it just was always in the simmering. background. Yeah, yep. uh, there's actually um, shameless plug. There was a series on YouTube that Jared's been watching called Between Two Wars, and it talks about 
all of the events that were going on between World War One and World War Two, and kind of like, hey, here's what's going on past World War One, and here's how we're getting ramped up for World War Two, and how we got here, and everything that's happening. And there's even episodes on like women's rights and kind of the progressive movement of the twenties and the Lost Generation. It's it's very long because, but it's episodic. You know, yeah. you can watch it as you want, but it's very interesting, absolutely fascinating, and it's done by like. You know how we're just a couple of friends who do research and tell stories? Right. This is like more professional, but still very interesting. So that one person who left us a one-star review, you can go listen to that if yes. you want. Sorry. Go, world traveler. Go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> anyway, so she began her campaign for Congress in 1931. She started with uh, tours of high schools in Montana and arranged to speak with uh, high schools and reestablish her ties in Montana as she has been spending the majority of her time in Georgia without plumbing and electricity because she's insane. Still don't get it. Um, she once again uh, enjoyed the political support of her well-connected brother in, you know, those fancy, fancy high waiters. His um, little Wellingtons. Yep. His wellies. And even like, and he was supporting her even though they had very um, divergent lifestyles and political views. He didn't necessarily agree with her pacifist views, but she, he was still like, you know what? You want to do this? Okay, you have my support. You're my family. Um, so in the 1940 race, Jeanette, who is now 60 years old. Oh, God. Um, she did defeat the her incumbent, uh, who was an outspoken anti-Semite, which at that time... Yeah. <laughs> like, at every point in history... We're totally yeah, fine true. with that. If anything, it's a blessing. But when <laughs> right we're now, fighting a guy no. who's No, we're not even in that war yet. No, but like, you know, when the big baddie in the world is also an anti-Semite, yeah. it, it, you know, draws comparisons that should be drawn. Right. Okay. So she won. Good. And she was appointed to the Committee of Pub- of on Public Lands and the Committee of Insular Affairs. Because, you know, whenever you're like a... When you, from the various article uh, people we've covered that have gotten into Congress in the House, like apparently, like you get elected, and so you're part of like the main thing, but then you also get assigned to like subcommittees. Yes, yeah. Okay. We we did that when I was in youth and government. I think I was involved with transportation or something. <laughs> yeah, you were. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, so while members of Congress and their constituents had been debating the U.S. question in, of World War II for months. Unfortunately, the Japanese Pearl Harbor attack uh, happened in December 7th, 1941, and that really, like, brought our country together and basically silenced all opposition to us joining the war. They were like, no, you know, at this point, they've attacked us on our home soil. We're going to war. It's it's one thing to join a war it's one thing to respond and i think exactly. i think yeah I'll, i'm sure there were definitely still people who were not probably excited to go to war no. but it was like i don't know what else we're supposed to do um, with this so uh, following that attack literally i think it was yeah the next day the house yep. and senate the, the congress as it's known um um went to vote on going to war obviously um Jeanette was the only member to vote against the declaration of war. Hisses were heard in the galley as she cast her votes. And several uh, colleagues, different representatives, asked her to either change her vote to make it a unanimous vote or to abstain from voting completely. Yeah, because that always blows my mind that you can be in Congress. This can be your job. And And you you can can be like, no, I'm not going to vote. You can refrain from voting and you can totally not show up. I'm like, 
How is this possible? Like, I have to show up for work every damn day. Right. Um, Her, what she said after she cast her vote was, as a woman, I can't go to war and I refuse to send anyone else. So she's kind of holding on to that, which I get. But like you said, it's one thing to declare war when we're not really involved it's another thing to respond that once to we've attack. been attacked you know you know and i so i mean good for her for like sticking to her guns though like that she's like you know this is what i believe in you knew that when you elected me and it, it, it it's that's about to come no out, I, you know? I i have i have respect for that uh i also find that interesting what she said as a woman i cannot go to war so how can i send someone and there is a tweet that was floating around it was uh i don't know who it was but some guy who was basically saying women you can't be drafted so sit down and shut up when talking about military matters and um a woman who happens to be a general in the u.s army responds she's like plenty of men have told me to sit down and shut up and now they call me ma'am or sir, I don't remember. But basically, oh, like, yeah. you know, I've been told to sit down and shut up. And now I'm yeah, it's the one, one thing, it's in like, charge. You, got, you know, it's like for a lot of history, women wanted to be in the army. We wanted right. to be in the armed forces. Like, and we weren't history. allowed to. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting because it's almost a flip also, of that. Also, it's like, where it's when like, was the last time we had a draft? The Vietnam War, yeah. which nobody wanted. Right. Like, I'm sorry, we can't have opinions about these things as American citizens. And just because we haven't been subjected to the draft before doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Right. It, it doesn't, doesn't mean, it doesn't we don't mean have that people the next, we don't love right? who would be. And well, and it doesn't mean, yeah, that the next time the United States would have a draft, which hopefully we never will again, that they wouldn't be like, yeah, we're going to have a draft, but we're including women as well. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure if it came to the United States needing a draft, they would include women because women are allowed to fight now. Yeah. That's why we weren't originally included. Yeah. Because you wouldn't let us fight in the fucking army. God, it was it wasn't until like what the the early two thousands that women were allowed in combat. Oh yeah, no, it was within our lifetime. Yeah. Like memorable within lifetime. the last like twenty years. Yeah, it makes. Me but I, I I I can disagree with her. But I'm also speaking I, I from the year twenty twenty one. But I I respect her kind of sticking with her her principles and her values because right? she's she's not playing a game. No, she's not trying to gain anything. She's like this is just genuinely what I believe. I'm a pacifist right. and I've been this way forever. Yeah, and like okay, so after she voted or after they all voted, a crowd of reporters pursued her into a coat room and she was forced to take refuge into a phone booth until the Capitol Police arrived to escort her oh, to her office. Oh, that sucks. When she got to her office, she was inundated with angry tele- telegrams and phone calls, including one cable from her brother that read, Montana is 100% against you. Oh. She remained unapologetic, saying, quote, everyone knew that I oppose- I was opposed to war and they elected me. I voted as the mothers would have had me vote. That's what she said. Um, and then the next day, uh, a photo of her sequestered in that phone booth, um, calling for assistance was like spread across newspapers across oh. the country, which is sad. Um, while her actions were widely ridiculed, um, one writer in particular named William Allen White, who was writing for a Kansas newspaper called the Emporia Gazette, acknowledged her courage. This is what he says. <laughs> Sorry. Probably a hundred men in Congress would have liked to do what she did. Not one of them had the courage to do it. The Gazette entirely disagrees with the wisdom of her position, but Lord, it was a brave thing. And its bravery um, somewhat discounts its folly. 
When in a hundred years from now, courage, sheer courage based upon moral indignation is celebrated in this country, the name of Jeanette Rankin, who stood firm in folly for her faith, will be written in monumental bronze, not for what she did, but for the way she did it. I feel like that perfectly summarizes how I'm feeling about this because I I, I do disagree. Right? Like, know? I don't agree either. But, um, yet, like, but it- I totally respect her, you know? Like, she, she's not playing a game. She's not trying to get something out of right. this. And I think she knew her her no wasn't going to, it wasn't going to change anything. Right. But she was like, this is how I feel. And this is how I feel a lot of people feel. And I am going to be the one to represent right. them and my true feelings, which I have made no. Right. Yeah. She, not she's not hidden them. at all. Yeah. It's not like she's been a war, like yelling about going to war this whole time and then voted no on it. Everyone's like, what? Right. So three days later, um, after we declared war on Japan, uh, a war declaration against Germany and Italy came to a vote. This time, Jeanette did abstain. She's like, you know what? I'm, you know, it was terrible the last time. I'm not going to do it this time. Everyone knows how I feel. Now shut up about it. Right. <laughs> she knew her political career was over at this point. She did not run for re-election in 1942. And years later, she was actually asked if she regretted her action and her vote. And she actually said, never. If you're against war, you're against war, regardless of what happens. It's a wrong method of trying to settle a dispute. That's how she felt. And so, yeah, like I, I think it's awesome that she stuck to her guns. Like I said, I don't agree with what happened. I, you know, but it is what it is. So over the next 20 years after she left Congress, Jeanette traveled the world, probably, you know, after the war ended, um, she would actually frequently go to visit India, where she studied the pacifist teachings of Mahatma Gandhi. She definitely visited the Kindy. 10,000%. And she's like... She spent a lot of time there. I don't agree with the methods because I'm a pacifist, but polite golf claps. <laughs> polite golf claps for the bloody hole. Um, <laughs> and she, she Polite golf claps for the bloody hole. yes jesus christ put that on a shirt (laughs) all right we will um so and she would still maintain both her homes in georgia and montana so she kept both homes um in the 1960s and 70s a new generation of feminists pacifists civil rights activists you know the 1970s that's really like it's the peace and love movement so like is that Second wave feminism or third yeah. wave? Second wave? I think it's second wave. Yeah. Um. So they, they found a lot of inspiration in what Jeanette had done, you know, and they embraced her as one of her own and, you know, in ways that her generation hadn't because her generation was very much World War One, World War Two, Like, they were the war generation. Well, and it's very easy for us to, you know, recognize the the principle and the virtue in what she did while disagreeing but when you're in the middle of it and your country has literally just been people attacked, just get angry i i totally i would have been angry i i don't agree with the people what people did to her but i i understand i'm not surprised right it's very easy for us to cast judgment sitting here in the comfort of 2021 <laughs> so unfortunately for jeanette um she actually ended up with three wars in her life because the vietnam war no it would have been four because she was alive during World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam War. I like that the Korean War is not mentioned in my story. <laughs> it's the Forgotten War. People forget we went to Korea. No, like I knew we went to Korea. I just for some reason I thought it was after Vietnam. No, yeah, it was because it was uh, Mash takes place during the Korean War, yep. but it was on TV during the Vietnam War, and yep. because of the 
similar geographical area, there was a lot. There's yeah, a heavy there's a commentary lot of on the Vietnam War. So the Vietnam War came to fruition, and Jeanette mobilized herself again. She was like, "No, you know, we shouldn't be going to war." And this time, I'm pretty sure most people agreed with her. Um, Not so, during the first part. Yeah, it's true. So in 1968, a uh, movement was called the Jeanette Rankin Brigade, which was a coalition of women's peace groups, organi- and they organized an anti-war march on Washington, D.C. This was the largest march by women since the Women's Suffrage Parade in 1913. Wow. She led. So not only was this like named after her, but she was there. She led 5,000 participants from the Union Station to the steps of the Capitol building where they didn't decide to go in and like fuck shit up. They d- you mean they didn't come with zip ties and weapons and they weren't busting up yeah, No one, No one uh, carried away a podium. <laughs> no um, one went through Nancy Pelosi's mail. Anyways, they presented a peace petition to the Speaker of the House who at the time was John McCormick. Um, Sorry, John McCormick's mail. Yeah. <laughs> Um, at the at the same time, within this group of activists, there was also a group of women's liberation people who created a protest within the protest, <laughs> and they they staged what they called a quote burial of true womanhood unquote at Arlington National Cemetery to draw attention to the passive role allotted to women as wives and mothers. So that was like the so the there's sub movement sim- under the other movement. So they're symbolically burying the passive role that yes. women have been re- forced to adopt exactly. as just oh you're just a wife and mother and you don't take an active part in the world or your own destiny. Right, exactly. And okay. they're like, no, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, in 1972, uh, Jeanette actually considered mounting a third house campaign to guide to gain a water wider audience to her opposition of the Vietnam War because it was it still going totally on totally aquatic audience at this point she was in her 90s good god Jeanette she ended up not mounting another campaign because she had long-standing throat and heart ailments that kind of caused her to be like okay maybe I because uh, she's 90 <laughs> um so she never married she maintained a lifelong close friendship with a journalist named Ca- Catherine Anthony which I like to think that they were like us they know that they were never romantically involved. They do they know, know that. that. Like they know, yeah. no. This well, isn't like as much as we can being, know. But biographers don't know what her sexual orientation was. Okay. Like they, they agree that she was. T- the only thing they agree on is that she was too consumed with her work to pursue any personal relationships because she didn't. She never married. She never, like, had. She that. she she didn't marry and she didn't date and yeah. she didn't pursue romantic relationships. I mean, hell, she could not have that been, they can find anyways. She could have been asexual, yeah. aromantic, or yeah, she just could have been really. It, it doesn't matter. Like she, with her she work. lived her life. Yeah. Um. She died on May eighteenth, nineteen seventy three, at the age of ninety two in California. Not really sure why. In a house with no plumbing and no electricity, even though it was what the she was probably still the seventies, seventies, nineteen seventy three. Um, there's a memorial stone dedicated to her in the Missoula Cemetery, and she bequeathed her estate, which I I was going to like change that word, but I just love the word bequeathed. I do, too. Um, but she, um, her entire estate, which includes both homes in Georgia and Montana, to, quote, help mature unemployed women workers. So, like, they were like, use it as, like, boarding houses, basically. I hope they at least fitted the Georgia one with some electricity I and plumbing. So her Montana residence became known as the Rankin Ranch and was added to the National Register of Historic Places three years after her death. 
um, the Jeanette Rankin Foundation um, was formed. It is now called the Jeanette Rankin's Women's Scholarship Fund. It's a nonprofit organization that awards annual scholarships to low-income women that are 35 and older, which I think I is cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, they, they have awarded, um, since 1978, $1.8 million in scholarships to over 700 women. Oh, my God. So that's, that's great. There is a statue of Jeanette... Um, that is inscribed, I cannot vote for war, that is placed in the United States Capitol Statuary Hall. Oh, my God. Yep. Uh, the dedication is by historian Joan Hoff Wilson, um, who called Rankin one of the most controversial and unique women in Montana and American political history. You know, I when we hear the, the word controversial nowadays, it just seems like, oh, someone made some controversial. Say- oh, you mean racist or hurtful or hateful? Like, like that's not controversial. This we is should what all- is actual controversial. Yeah, but this, I mean, this is nuanced. This is a conversation. This is something where I'm like, yeah, I, I right. understand why she did what she did, but I also understand why people felt that way about it. It's like, I just, I hate when something is termed controversial. It's either... Hateful, or it's not. It just means like, oh, some assholes didn't like it, where it's like, oh, controversial same sex pairing on a children's TV show. That's not controversial, guys. Just a bunch of assholes didn't like it. You don't have to acknowledge their feelings. Right. So, a replica of that same statue also stands in the Montana Capitol building, which is cool. Love it. Um, She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993. Um, a woman named Jean-Marie Simpson produced and starred in a one-woman play about her life, which was called A Single Woman. A Single Woman. And all the benef- uh, all the proceeds went to benefit peace organizations, oh, which I is really, that. really cute. I also love that name because it works on multiple levels. Because it's a right? single woman doing a play about a single woman. Uh, Opera America commissioned a song cycle about Jeanette called Fierce Grace that premiered in 2017. In 2018, um, the... Collispell Brewing Company commissioned a mural on the side of its building in Collispell, Collispell Montana, um, featuring Rankin and a, and a quotation. D- I didn't say what the quotation was, oh, what? which makes me a little bit sad. Um, <laughs> Can we look it up? And although her, yeah, I will. Although her legacy rests almost entirely on her pacifism, she um, said at the Montana Constitutional Convention in 1972 that she would have preferred otherwise. She said, quote, if I am remembered for no other act, I want to be remembered as the only woman who ever voted to give women the right to vote. I love because that. she was the only one in Congress, you know? Yeah. I know. That is amazing. Excellent story. Thank you. Jeanette Rankin, the uh, the pacifist politician. Yeah. That doesn't want to be remembered for that, though. <laughs> the pacifist politician who doesn't want you to think she's a pacifist. Right. Uh, well, it's it's hard not to. Like, okay, I completely so understand the quote, what it's a legacy. The quote on the side of the building, which it's a, it's a caricature. It's a kind of an interesting picture, is go, go, go. It makes no difference where, just so you go, go, go. That's the quote. She actually said that. I have no idea. It sounds like that was lifted from a song. But that, like, that go, is... Go, go, go. Yeah, right. Doesn't matter where as long as you go, go, go. <laughs> but that that is the quote. I feel like they could have picked a better quote. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I like the quote. It's cool. But it just, it made me laugh. 
<laughs> and I don't think that was the point. I know. Oh, the places you'll go, go, go. <laughs> I know. It, does. it sounds like a song that the the, the band OK Go would yeah. write. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so that is Jeanette Rankin. Excellent story. Thank you. Really cool. And I loved all the different eras of history that we got to touch on through her story. She lived. A- she was she was alive for a long time. She she was alive during a great time to be a pacifist because she lived through like four fucking wars. Right. Good grief. I know it's insane. But Emily, what are you thankful for? Um, I think we're going to be thankful for maybe the same, maybe the same thing. Uh, so, well, of course, I'm thankful that we are recording together. Uh, so I've actually had a kind of a rough week. The depression has been a huge bitch. Yeah. Um, I named her Debbie and she sucks. Oh. Debbie depression. Nice. <laughs> Coupled with uh, Annie anxiety, who needs to calm the fuck down. Yeah. That's um, where I've been. Me and me and Annie have been having a grand old time. Yep. Uh, so it's 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 been a tough week, and it's it's yeah. No, that I mean, just men- mental health problems always just suck. But I am thankful because one, I was able to talk with Kelly via text about. It. Just been like, yeah, I I don't need anything, but I'm just having a hard time, and I feel the need to just express this. Um, the biggest thing I'm really thankful for right now, though, is uh, I got a call. I think it was it was Thursday night from my dad. And the first thing he said was like, I don't want you to get worked up. And I'm like, OK, well, we are there. That's the, I'm going to go sit down. Give me <laughs> a sec. We have arrived at worked up. And uh, he was having some chest pains and he went in and they needed to do, basically do a tie test where they in Jack die into your heart through an artery to detect any blockages. And long story short, it was either he was going to have a stent put in, which is like a little hollow onaki <laughs> to reference. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a mesh tube, like yeah, Chinese finger traps. Like it almost looks like a Chinese finger yeah. trap made out of mesh. Yeah. So to basically My open up arteries, or worst case scenario, we're looking at bypass, which of course. <sighs> scares the absolute hell out of me so he went in friday they put in a stent he's okay he's doing great um i got to pick him up from the hospital kind of like i mentioned at the top of the episode so i I did get to see him and talk with him and you know help out because i I kept texting my mom because i'm just imagining her in the waiting room like you want me to bring you coffee you want me to come like and it, it it was partially because I felt bad, like the idea of my mom sitting in the waiting room, just waiting and waiting by herself. But I'm also like, I feel like I need to be doing something other than right. waiting. So I get that. I'm very, I'm very thankful for that. I'm, I'm very glad also that thankful Kit Kat's babies are I'm doing well. <laughs> very glad that unlike me, you have a father that will go in for chest pains because my dad is the type of person that he'll have chest pains and he won't. Yeah. So. You know, I'm glad that somewhere out in the world there are dads that are actually like concerned about their health. But it it was nice. Jared was very supportive, even though he was having a really hard time. His his dad actually had to put down his dog. Um, Yeah, buddy. And so Jared's dad was thinking like, I I can't be in the room. Like I, I just he just didn't feel strong enough. And Jared's like, well, I'll go. And so they went in together and. So it was really nice nice that Jared was able to be there for his dad through that because for a long time he you know his dad has lived far away and he hasn't been able to spend a lot of time with him so the fact that they were able to have that time together and that jared was able to be there for him was really sweet so even though jared was having a rough time he was also there for me and i'm I'm thankful for that so mm. thankful for kelly 
thankful that my dad is doing well health-wise, and thankful for Jared. Almost as always. Jared right. jokes that our listeners are sick of me talking about how thankful I am for I him. Know, and I'm like, well, they have to deal with it. Right, exactly. We're, we're both in committed relationships. You're going to have to hear about our, our significant others. Yeah, sorry. Um. And I, I think mine's kind of the same. Like, I'm really thankful for Justin. Like, he's been having a little bit of a hard time, too. Obviously not the same as Jared, but um, very much, you know, work's been really stressing him out. He's having to do a lot of stuff for COVID. And so it's a lot of, like, in the minute, like, we need this done now. Yeah. And um, another member of his team is currently out. Uh, so it's really just him. And so like he's been having some really stressful days and you know like and it doesn't help when I'm like because I felt so bad. I think it was Thursday that I like I had a shit day um, because my team member is also out. So the la- like and I don't blame her like her mom's having health problems like I am 100% like no but you know like when it's just you it can be stressful without be, you being exactly. resentful. Absolutely. And exactly. I'm not resentful at all. Um, but yeah, like, so like I was having a crap day. And so like we, I was like kind of snippy. And then, he, you know, like it kind of like escalated from there. We didn't like get into a fight or anything. But, you know, it was definitely one of those like, okay, we're both, we're both like. The fuck, Google? Okay, Google, shut up. <laughs> we're having a moment. <laughs> but like. Bitch, what I say? That's funny. Give me a reason. <laughs> Stop. Never mind. Go away. Um, oh, oh, and then the guy comes in yeah, out right, of nowhere. Like, like, yeah, I got this. Fuck you, um, dude. But so, like, and I've just been, I've been high anxiety for the last few weeks. So I think that's also why it's kind of made me being on my team by myself like worse, is because I've already like I'm already at my limit. So I'm like, but. Yeah, like, so, like, being able to talk to Emily about it and Justin and, like, being able to see Emily today is a big game changer, too. Like, it's so, yeah, like, I'm thankful for all of that. And I'm thankful for our listeners. We've gotten some really sweet messages. One from uh, our funerary cult member, Melissa. Marissa. Um, Marissa. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Cut that out, Emily. One from our funerary cult member, Marissa. (laughs) um and so she was really sweet we got another one from a listener artemis who we've mentioned before and they are the best yeah they are amazing we'll be mentioning sorry them. my phone fell i know I'm like what was that <laughs> we'll be mentioning them again in our next episode because they gave us some great recommendations but yeah so i'm just i'm thankful for all the people that are out there and you know it's the little things this week for sure it is it's one of those things where it's like no matter how i'm feeling or how my my depression or anxiety is making me feel there's a lot of things to be thankful for and that's awesome right and it's it, i actually like that we do this segment because I'm not one to keep like a gratitude journal and stuff. And some people are like, oh, you should. But I just exhausting. Well, and I like I don't like the idea of having to do it every day. Yeah. Because I'm like, I feel like I'm just going to write the same things every day. Like, I'm thankful for my pugs. I'm thankful for, you know, like, I feel like and I I feel like it's too. It makes it makes my anxiety worse. And I'm like, I don't like that's stupid. I know. But like, I'm like, I don't want to do something that's going to make my anxiety worse. So doing this like once a week thing where we're like, hey, this is what I'm thankful. I really like it. And it is. I understand why people do gratitude journals. It's just mm-hmm. not something I can do. No. And I mean, it, it definitely helps for some people. I, I had a therapist who recommended when I get really stressed or depressed to write down 10 things a day that I'm 
thankful for T- 10 just it doesn't even yeah. have to be thankful just 10 positive things and it was it it devolved really quickly for me I don't think I would I was doing it correctly because it was like I'm thankful I didn't get hit by a car on my way into work I'm thankful that the phone hasn't rang for 10 solid minutes I'm thankful th- yeah <laughs> and it starts getting stressful I'm thankful and it's like, I have shoes right now I don't know <laughs> right that's that's how I get to and that's why I'm like you know what I gratitude journaling especially daily is not for me i yeah i can't do it all right (laughs) after that note well thank you so much speaking of thanks for listening to another episode of whining about herstory please like us on facebook at whining about herstory instagram at wah pod twitter at wah underscore pod we have a website whining about herstory.com which we've been updating well emily has and it's wonderful and it it was my way of procrastinating for from other things i I should have been doing that made me anxious to do something that no one asked me to do did not need to be done but but I want to feel it productive looks, and great. have an excuse not to confront my demons. <laughs> yeah, I know I do that too. Um, we also have an email address, whiningwithhersory at gmail.com. You know, send us those holes. No, I'm kidding. Please. <laughs> Hashtag show me your kindy. Yeah, unless you're actually going to send us like a kindy or like a hole in a wall, please don't Remember send us how we holes. were talking about tree vaginas? Yeah. I hope we just start getting a bunch of pictures of tree vaginas and like random holes in walls. I would be so happy. Um, we also have a merch store on uh, Teespring. Yeah, we've been adding some new stuff. We, I've been, again, as part of my avoidance of my demons, I have been making merch designs and Kelly has been making merch designs and it is amazing. Yes. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it and I actually started listening to some old episodes to get more inspiration and like, I don't know, I was listening to one episode, I was like, we're kind of delightful. Oh my God. I need to like... <laughs> start having like a piece of paper with me or something like as we're recording because like this episode we've said like two or three things that I'm like we could put that on shirts but I don't remember what they are now. I actually I used to do that while editing but I didn't think to use it for merch because we weren't we weren't there yet and I would use it for social media posts and then I just totally like gave up on it so some of the most 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 recent okay <laughs> I'm just going to commit to the most recent, the most recent merch uh, has some little sayings and quips from some of our more recent episodes. So I'm excited. And also, please rate us. Why is this so hard? Rate us five stars wherever you listen. We love you. We still have another episode to go. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.